0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, today we're here again at the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Thank you for joining us. If you're new to the program, uh, watching us on the YouTube channel, uh, thank you. I'm Rick Burgess. I'm the co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show and director of themanchurch.com. This Bible study started uh, seven years ago uh, as a men's Bible study. That still is the foundation uh, of this Bible study. I know that there are... Uh, men and women, uh, who who watch this or listen to this every week, and that's perfectly okay. There'll be times when we're dealing with things that are specific to to men, uh, but most of the time it's really just a Bible study of followers of Jesus uh, who are interested and, and growing from spiritual infancy uh, to spiritual maturity. Uh, and, and we've been going through a series, if you're joining us for the first time, we are in session 23 uh, of a series out of the book by J.I. Packer, called Knowing God, and the concept of this is that it is possible for us to know a lot of concepts about God, know about God, but really still not know God, and that's been the journey that we've been on. So if you have not uh, uh, been with us before, it's okay. I think today will stand alone. Uh, It'll speak to us, but if you'd like to go back, you can look at the archives uh, one of two ways. You can go to the YouTube channel at rickandbubba.com, hit Playlist, uh, you uh, you will see there uh, that the, the Bible study archives are there. It's called Men's Bible Study, uh, and you can look at that and go back and find uh, all the sessions before this. Option two, uh, you can go to BurgessMinistries.com, and you can click on the Listen button. These are audio only, and you can walk back through the audio archives of past Bible studies, including the one that, that, that we are in now. Uh, here's Here's some news. We need to update everybody who's listening to this that uh, lives in the Birmingham area, and uh, in the past, maybe you've attended this Bible study actually in the room here at the studio. Uh, because of the pandemic, it has been over a year uh, since we've had uh, men regularly attend this, or anybody who wants to attend, uh, and we will do that. Now, for being in the room, it is men only, uh, and we will open that back up one week from today. Uh, well, on the first Wednesday in June, Uh, That would be June the 2nd. Is that right? June 2nd. Uh, That is next Wednesday. You can come. You can be here at the Rick and Bubba studio. We start at noon on the dot, uh, and the seats are first come, first serve. Uh, And so any of you that uh, have been coming regularly in the past or you'd like to try that, you're more than welcome to do so. We do open the studio back up uh, next Wednesday, and I'm looking forward to that because I uh, missed having all the men here. Uh, in person, love this technology, and I'm glad there's many of you that this is the only way you can get the Bible study, but there's just something special about having a room full of men walking through the Word of God, and we can get back to that next week. Praise God, and we're excited about that. Uh, TheManchurch.com, this, this is a, uh, one of the last two sessions. It will be interesting that next week we'll actually end this Bible study uh, with the men in the room, and then the, the following week, um, uh, when we get to uh, June uh, the 9th, uh we'll actually start back uh on on uh on a brand new one uh and that actually will go through at the manchurch.com we have a 40 day devotionals for men we have 40 week curriculum for churches and groups uh that want a curriculum all the uh curriculum all that's available at the manchurch.com uh but uh, the last 40 day devotional that we put out is in our how to be a man series and this subtitle is discovering what it means to be a disciple you know jesus said to make disciples uh, there's nobody in the New Testament that's called a Christian that wasn't already a disciple. So what we'll do, and, and we'll roll through this one. Uh, this one will not be as long. I think we can do this in eight weeks, but, but we'll see. Uh, this, uh, this asks the question, uh, are you truly a disciple of Jesus? Uh, and it tells us eight things that uh, that we should be able to answer about ourselves that would prove that we are actually a disciple. What is a disciple of Jesus? What does it look like? How do you know if you're a disciple of Jesus? Uh, and we'll walk through those eight concepts that you can find here uh, in this 40-day devotional, which is available at themanchurch.com. And this is the last uh, in the trilogy of the How to Be a Man series. The first one is the pursuit of Christ-centered masculinity. Uh, the second one is real men of the Bible. And now the third one is discovering what it means to be a disciple. So you can find all that all that at themanchurch.com. Speaking of man churches, I'll be getting back out on the road uh, uh, and, and kicking off our curriculum and our strategy in Winfield, Alabama, on June the 3rd. Uh, we'll be there. We'll have a service. Uh, the men will gather, and they will kick off uh, that 40-week curriculum. Uh, then on the 4th of June, another man church will be going on. This will be the third man church for Westview Baptist Church in Op, Alabama, as they're rolling through the curriculum. Mark Garnett from TheManchurch.com will be there addressing those men. You can attend either one of these uh, if you're in the area. uh, You are welcome to join us. So uh, then make make some notes here. The Gridiron Men's Conference is coming up Father's Day weekend in Huntsville, Alabama. I'll be there. Looking forward to being part of that. TheManchurch.com, all of our resources will be there. Uh, You can find details there at GridironMen.com. Herschel Walker will be giving his testimony We'll have uh we'll have, George, uh, we'll have um, uh, from Jonathan Evans. Tony Evans' son will be there. He'll be speaking. He's great if you've never heard him. Ike Reichard. Uh, of course, uh, uh, Gary Chapman will be there, who's written so many books about marriage. He'll be there. Charles Billingsley is doing worship. Phil Waldrop will be speaking there. GridironMen.com if you want to join us. And then Sherry and I will be doing a one day marriage conference with Shane and Shane coming up on August the 14th in beautiful Pensacola, Florida, at Olive Baptist. If you'd like to be there with us, and we're giving you a heads-up to join Sherry and me uh, for a day of us diving into the biblical concepts of marriage, and then a concert from Shane and Shane, those tickets are available now, August 14th, Olive in Pensacola, Florida. Why don't you come join us for the weekend? Uh, It's only a one-night gathering. The rest of the weekend you can spend investing in, in your marriage and, and, and applying all the things we've talked about. Get those tickets, uh, while they last by going to burgessministries.com and clicking on events. So let's open up in a word of prayer and let's dive in, uh, to, uh, the topic today, the inward trials of being a follower of Jesus. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the message. Thank you for all that's going on and how you are moving in so many ways. I pray, Lord, today that we hear everything, uh, that, that we don't have Uh, you know, uh, a delusional view of what it looks like to actually be a follower of Jesus. May we be able to discern when somebody's telling us something about redemption that isn't true. Uh, When someone's telling us something about the Christian life that isn't true. Uh, May we continue to mature in our faith so we can discern what is and isn't from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And that's what we talk about in this session. Uh, J.I. Packer says there's a very dangerous gospel he calls this gospel cruel. Uh, he said this out there. Uh, he calls this the inward trials, the things that Christians actually go through. And he says, be, be careful of this gospel because it looks good uh, on the surface, he said, but he calls it cruel. He said it's twofold. First, it depicts the work of grace as less than it really is. And then secondly, it leaves people with a gospel that is not big enough to cover the whole area uh, of their need. Uh, Isaiah once pictured the misery of the inadequate resources in terms of short beds and narrow blankets in Isaiah 28, Now, at first he says, when you see this, he, he used a word that even had me push back a little bit. He said, what kind of ministry am I talking about? He said, the first thing, which is sad is it may seem when you look at it on the surface that you see a true evangelical ministry. He said, because it has all the concepts, right? Uh, it, it's a, uh, its acceptance of Bible, the Bible is God's word. You check that list; that looks good. It it promises as as all the promises of God, they and assurances are agreed upon. The regular themes are justification by faith through the cross, new birth through the Spirit, new life in the power of Christ's resurrection. Its aim is to bring people to a new birth, and from there to lead them into the fullest possible experience of of resurrection life. So when I first saw that, I'm like, well, Packer, what what is your problem uh, with, with this? He goes, well, I'll, no, they get the concepts right. Just like many times we get the concepts of God right, we may know about God, but that doesn't mean we actually know God. And he says, so their concepts are absolutely biblically true, but here's where the problem is, and this is where we have to be watching. And that's an inaccurate application of these truths. They're applied incorrectly. He said, and the reason why is Scripture is full of truth, that will heal souls, just as a pharmacy is stocked with remedies for bodily disorders. He said, but in both cases, if you go to the pharmacy and say I've got a problem, and the pharmacy says, well, we have things that do address the problem, but what if you take what they have and you apply it incorrectly? Uh, and and that's what he, he uses iodine. He said, you know, say say that you have, you know, um, you you you're, you've been given iodine for the problem of something that you have. You remember we were growing up. My goodness, they put Mercurichrome on anything. If you got scratched up, you were going to be painted orange. And and what if you said, well, I'm going to bring this home, and you tell your kid, well, I think you should drink it. He said, well, now, if your kid drinks that, as opposed to applied it to the wound, that's the misapplication of the right medicine. And so he says, this is the problem why you have to look deep into some of the false gospels that are out there and, and false theology He said, the doctrines of new birth and new life can be misapplied and get the same unhappy and incorrect results. This seems uh, to be what happens in the case, he said, that I'm going to discuss today. So he says, okay, let's talk about the misapplied doctrines. He said, the type of ministry that is here in mind starts by stressing only the evangelistic context, meaning all you really need to worry about is you need to fight, you need to get saved. And he said, And 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 so ministry that is wholly concerned about the gospel truths can still go wrong by giving these truths, as I said, in an inaccurate application. And he says, so certainly we know that this is going to bring forgiveness, our redemption, but what you have to watch out for is I say, not only will it bring us forgiveness of sins and peace of conscience and fellowship with God as our Father, it will also mean that through the power of the indwelling Spirit, we'll be able to completely overcome sin that previous, previously mastered us, and, and the light of, uh, and leading that God will give us will enable us to find our way through and around problems, and we will. And the result will be self-fulfillment, uh, personal relationships, our heart's desires, and la-la-la-la-la-la-la. And so this is very similar to what we talked about on the, the Rick and Bubba University podcast when we interviewed the pastor, Dean and Sarah, uh, who's written the book, um, which we may do at another time. We did Unsaved Christian. Now, a lot of you seem to really, uh, be, have been benefited from that. But he's got a new book called Get Over Yourself. And what he's saying is this, this false doctrine. Now, J.I. Packer, because this was written in the 70s, he, he's probably looking at the cable guys that we saw, the, the name it and claim it, health and prosperity gospel people. And he's probably talking more about that. But, but that still exists today, and it's kind of easy to see. But there's a more subtle presentation of this out here in some of the gigantic churches in our, in our, not just our country, but our world. And you almost believe if you look at redemption through what they're presenting, all these concepts are right, but they're almost telling you, you can have your best life now. I mean, Jesus is going to give you your heart's desire. But see, the Bible says, remember we talked about last week, that we should never follow our heart, that our, our our heart is deceitful above all things, and it leads us in an emotional disastrous way, and it should be about self fulfillment. I, I become the best version of me. That's not the, that's not true. That's not biblical truth. My life will now, even on earth, will suddenly get even better. I mean, I I'm you know what I'm, I'm underselling my my earthly potential, and Jesus is going to help me reach my earthly potential. No, no, that, that's not the gospel. And, uh, and so this is the concern uh, that, that we have. Hey, you, maybe you hear the concepts of redemption, right? But the application of what your life's going to look like is incorrect. He said, now, you put that in general terms. These great assurances you know, are scriptural and true. Praise God that they are. That, that God is going to redeem us and give us a new birth. And he's going to give us a new life. Praise the Lord for that. That's true. He says, but it's, it, it, it is, a, it, it's possible that you can stress these assurances and the promises of a new life so much that a lot of these churches, and I talked to a friend today that has already walked out of one, these churches do not want to tell you about the stresses of a Christian life. They don't want to tell you about the problems of being a follower of Jesus. Now, the Bible's not silent on that either. They just choose not to preach that. I don't want to talk about the hard stuff. I don't want to talk about the difficulty that your faith will also bring you. Uh, And so that's where we have a problem, and that's what we want to talk about today, is to be sure that we understand the balance. Because you know what else Scripture talks about? The daily chastening. We're, we're, he God chastises us, He, he chastens us. I should say, He chastens us to to continue to refine us into to something different. There's an endless war that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. It's endless; it never ends until we're standing uh, in, in in the presence of the Lord, and our flesh is finally completely dead. C.S. Lewis warned us about this. He didn't. He he talked about this in great detail. He said, "When you become redeemed." Before we become redeemed, our flesh is is at a homecoming game. Our flesh wins every single day because our spirit is dead. We're unredeemed, so our spirit is dead. When you become redeemed, and now God's spirit, His seed, as John talks about in his first epistle, is when that when God's seed comes into our spirit and then makes that dead spirit alive. What did C.S. Lewis say? We talk about it a lot. Then the flesh begins to fight for its life. Remember what C.S. Lewis, remember the analogy? We've talked about it here several times. C.S. Lewis used the Nazis as the analogy of the flesh because he was writing during World War II. And he said, you really don't know the strength of the Nazis if you just go along with them. When you find out the strength of the Nazis is when you oppose them. Same with the flesh. So to tell you that, if, that you become redeemed and because you... You you submitted to the authority of Christ and you repented of your sin. Now your struggle with sin is over? That's not true. And you're almost led to believe that it's not. But wh- why is that problematic that if you don't tell me that my problems don't really go away, they I just now have the answer to my problems? If you don't sell it right, what I mean, correctly, or you don't teach it correctly, that's a better word, wh- why is that problematic? And he talks about this in this chapter. I'll tell you why it's problematic. Because you have a bunch of people who get redeemed, and when they still have a struggle with sin, even though they now have the answer, and they still have a difficult life, they become disillusioned and think, "Well, I must not have been redeemed. Maybe God's not even real." So we 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 have to we have to take just like this Bob this study has told us the whole time we must take God as He is completely, and He's not silent on all of His characteristics. Remember, that's been the theme of this study. You've got to understand God fully. Or first of all, you don't really understand redemption. You don't understand why the cross was so important. You don't understand resurrection. Why? What do we say? If you want to understand God's love and God's grace, you also have to understand his judgment and his wrath. You have to know both. Then you get the full vision of how wonderful redemption really is. Well, he's talking about the same thing. There's no guarantee in Scripture that because you become redeemed, that problems in your life are over. It's not there at all. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bible or, or something with your Bible on it, I'll roll through some of these verses for you. So if, if you're in a church that isn't reading you these verses too, I'd leave. If, if you don't if you don't hear them talking about the cost of discipleship, I'd leave. If you don't hear them talking about that your life, that God will continue to refine you, if, if, you, if you go to a, a, a church that says, we're going to talk about the Gospel of John, but we're going to skip John 15, Or we're going to go to John 15, and we're going to skip the line where Jesus says, those that bear much fruit, he will prune, so they'll bear even more fruit. If that kind of stuff is getting skipped, or stuff like this, you need to leave. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to, and this is the part that's missed, endure it. Endure it. Wait a minute, so temptation doesn't go away? Now, God doesn't tempt you. But, 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 But what he's saying is God will never allow us to be tempted to the level that we can justify sin. Meaning, God's too powerful for us to give in to sin, but it doesn't mean we won't be in that situation. See, a lot of people take this verse and say, well, God will never put more on you than you can bear. That's not what this scripture says. That's, that's a miss, that's a misuse of this verse. That, that's apostasy. That's not what it says. As a matter of fact, I, I promise you, when, when the things that I've been through in my life, and there's been a number of them, but, but there's difficulty in my life, and I can promise you that it's been more than I can bear. I can promise you that. But it's not more than God can bear. But you know, if if I if God's never going to allow me to be in a situation that's beyond my own strength, then why do I need God? I can just do it on my own. So that's not what this this, this scripture is talking about. This scripture is saying there's no excuse for giving in into sin. You better be leaning on Christ, and you better be leaning on God because the temptation of sin from the adversary and your flesh will remain in your life, but it'll never be more than God can overcome, and He will allow you to endure it. Endure it. Yeah, that means you That means you have to actually deal with it. It doesn't just magically go away. You ever, you ever seen the football teams put the, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me on the run-through sign, as if somehow if their relationship's right with God, he's going to let them win the game versus the other team I guess he has a problem with? That's not what that verse means. Paul is in jail. And what he's saying, he just told us he lost everything for the sake of Christ. He lost his wealth. He lost his standing he keeps being put in jail. He keeps being stoned. He keeps being beaten. And you know what he's saying is, but the fact that I have been redeemed is enough for me. And because I have been redeemed and because I have a relationship with God, how about this? No matter what I'm going through because of Jesus, I can endure it. It's not about, it's not about a health, wealth, victory verse. I hope I do good on the test because all through, through Christ, all things strengthen me. That's not what that's about. I hope I get the job. I hope, I hope I can do this. No, that you know what that is a verse in? That's a verse saying, I suffer as a disciple of Jesus, but it's worth it because he never leaves me without the strength to endure it. See, that's the real gospel. And if you're not hearing that, I would find another church. Look at Acts 14. Let's go over to Acts 14. Acts 14, verse 22. Acts 14, verse 22. This is actually in the Bible. Remember, always be leery of any Bible study that doesn't feature the Bible. This is after Paul has been stoned at Lystra. (laughs) Did God not protect him from that? Why is he getting stoned? So he can glorify God. So so listen to this. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through, uh uh-oh, are you ready? Uh Uh-oh. See, if you hear this from the pulpit where you go to church, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. Anybody know what the word tribulation is? It's difficulty. So here's Paul saying, yeah, I got stoned at Lystra. I I sure did. I I, I got stoned there. You know why? Because I wouldn't back down because I was standing up for God. They stoned me. They drugged me out. They brought me back in. I also, also took some heat at Antioch. And he said, you know what, though? The Lord God Almighty is strengthening the souls of us, his disciples. He's encouraging us to continue in the faith, and he said to us that it will be through many tribulations that we will enter the kingdom of God. Are you hearing that? Or or is it all, are you going in there and, and God's going to make you your best you? John MacArthur could not have said it any clearer. The only people that are living their best life now are the people that are going to hell. That's it. Now, you compare this life to hell, then you probably are living your best life now because hell's worse. But this is not your best life now. And, it, and, and, and I, I hate to break it to you, it never will be because it's fallen. I mean, when I think about the suffering in my life, so my shot at best life now is over because I'm sitting here talking to you right now and my youngest son, who, who would, would, would have been 16 tomorrow, he's dead. He died an earthly death. Okay, so I don't have him here on this life. That My relationship with him on this earth is over. Currently, I, you know, I have family members who oppose me. I hope those relationships work out. Uh, my parents are aging. I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting to where I have to take care of them. And you're going, yeah, Rick, that's kind of things we go through too. Yeah, so this can't be it. I hope this isn't it. And Jesus didn't promise that. As a matter of fact, he said this place is going to be refined by fire. I'm, this, this earth is going away. You're here to advance my kingdom, and I have redeemed you, not to give you the best life now, but to give you eternal life with me in the future. You're headed to it, but you ain't there now. Alright, so, I mean, so now let's go to 1 Peter. Let's just continue on. Let's go to 1 Peter. Y'all have heard me quote this verse over and over again. Well, who's Peter writing 1 Peter to? We studied that. We did a whole Bible study on 1 Peter. He's writing to a persecuted church that Nero is murdering by the day. Did they not have enough faith? Why? Why are their bodies hanging up and down the street here, burning? I, I thought they were redeemed. I, I thought, I thought they're followers of Jesus. Now Well, they are. Well, well why are they being killed? Because because the earth opposes Jesus. That's why. It's because they weren't trying that. They weren't trying to say, well, the life with Jesus means that that Nero won't get us, or that we won't be persecuted. They said, no, we've been redeemed, so we stand with him. So if they do kill us. What did Paul say? I've learned to live as Christ, to die as gain. So Nero, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to oppose you right now because you want me to blaspheme Jesus. I won't do that. I'm a good citizen as long as you don't ask me to do that. But if you ask me to do that, I will not reject Jesus. We're going to kill you. Okay, then I'll just be with Jesus. That's the life I'm going to. And and, and this, this this idea of trying to create heaven on earth, trust me, from someone who try, who's tried it, give it up. I mean, think about what's coming. Be heaven-focused. That's the follower of Jesus. You don't believe that? Listen to Peter, First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the testing genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes when it's tested by fire, might be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What did he say? Did Peter say, In this we rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, we're going to be what? Am I not going to get that job? Am I not going to become beautiful? Am I not going to, am I, is, there, am there, am I, is there not more money coming for me? Is there not, uh, am I not going to travel to these wonderful places and go stay at some resort? Uh, are my children not going to be these important people in the world? Applaud them. Is my big house, my cars, is all, what, what are you talking about? No, he said you're going to be grieved by various trials if necessary. That God allows? Yes. Why? To test the genuously of faith, see if you're the real deal. Do you think, I mean, it literally has been said, people have said before, hey, have you ever heard Rick speak before and somebody might say, yeah. You know what they all say who know me? Before or after 2008? Ah, oh, it was 2005. Ah, well, you hadn't heard him then. <laughs> you might want to go see him after, after, after he went through the thing with his son. Why is that? Because that was used to grow me. Spiritually. Or if I had folded like a paper cup and rejected God and said, well, I'm not going to serve a God that's going to let my kid die. And that was the test. But I found him to be sweeter than anything here on this earth, and I wasn't shocked when something like that would happen in a fallen creation because I actually was learning the Bible. And 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 I said, there's a lot of talk in here about trials and tribulations and difficulty of devout followers of Jesus. So I guess that bad things, according to the earth, do happen to the followers of Jesus. Stephen? Stephen? Acts chapter 7? He's doing everything perfectly right, so much so that Jesus is standing at the right hand of God while he's being stoned. Jesus is standing, and he says he sees the Lord standing there and says, Receive my spirit. Jesus is standing because Stephen is doing everything exactly right. said he was full of faith, full of grace, full of power, that this was all said about Stephen. Well, then why didn't Jesus step in and stop the stoning? Because his stoning glorified him, and who was standing there watching Stephen get stoned? And when Stephen says, don't hold this against him, when Stephen is looking to Jesus as he's being stoned, Acts chapter 8 says what? And Saul had everybody's coats at his feet so they could throw harder, and he approved of Stephen's execution. So your suffering may impact somebody else that will be huge for the kingdom while Jesus brings you in. You think Paul ever forgot that? Well, we know he didn't because in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, what did he say? I shouldn't have been an apostle. Why? He says why. Because I persecuted the church. I mean, he could also add right there, I, I I made sure Stephen was killed. I murdered Stephen. So I shouldn't even be an apostle. And the only thing that's good about me is the grace that I have been shown by God. But what do you say about that grace? But it will never be in vain. God will never look at me and say he didn't get a return. I work harder than the others because of the sin I know I committed. So Stephen's suffering helped, was part of getting Paul ready for the ministry that he'd be given. And where's Stephen's reward? In heaven. With Jesus. What did God tell Ananias when he said, I want you to go get Saul. I've got him blind, and I'm going to use him to reach the Gentiles. Ananias said, "Mm, this guy's dangerous. He's killing us. God said, I got him ready. And what does he say to tell him? Go tell him all that he must Suffer for me. So why are we not telling people that? God didn't withhold it from, from anyone. Jesus didn't withhold it. He's always telling them that they should expect problems and that life will, could be very difficult following him. In John 16, I say this so that you have peace. In this world, you will face tribulation. Not you might, you will. But always have joy, peace in your heart because why? Ultimately, because of redemption, I've overcome the world. The world's not going to be the that's not going to be the end all for you. So you rejoice in that. You always have peace in your heart. Hey, I'm sitting here on my deathbed. That's right. I, I, this is difficult. I'm sure it is. I don't make light of that. I know it's difficult. But you know what? If you're redeemed, you know what you're hearing from Jesus? This is about to be over. But what's next is eternal life. And this sickness you're dealing with, this problem you're dealing with, I don't know why you cling into that world. Let it go. Come to me. Ultimate healing. Don't we don't ever have anybody in our, in our family, all the disciples of Jesus that are in our family extended to what? We never say our prayer wasn't answered if a loved one dies. Never. Because they ultimately were healed. The ultimate healing is this is over. The suffering ended. Well, I just don't know why God just kept let my, my, my mama who loved him so much let him, let her suffer. Well, apparently he didn't because she's not suffering now. He didn't let her keep suffering. He ended it. You, you see how that, this, this is the, this is what the Bible has to say. And what does James have to say? James chapter 1 verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, here comes the why. Well, why do we go through these trials? Well, we could just look at the Bible because it's there. We just we just heard Peter say one of the reasons why we suffer is to prove that we are followers of Jesus. That our faith our faith is not fake. It's not based on whether good or bad things happen to us on earth. It's based on the fact that we love a God who redeemed us. Guys, you do realize we didn't deserve the cross. I didn't. I deserve to go to hell. If God says to me today, I just got news for you, and He's gone. He's done far above what He's done on the cross. But let's say that God would redeem redeemed me in 1996, and he said, i got news for you. This is it for me. I've redeemed you when you weren't worthy of redemption, and the rest of your life is going to be completely miserable. You know what I would say? You've done enough. Because I didn't deserve the cross. Anything that, that God has done above the cross, I didn't deserve. I didn't deserve the cross. I deserve to go to hell. He's redeemed me, so I just can't find any fault in him. And, I, and I've got come to the conclusion that God knows what he's doing. And so I, so we, we, we've shifted these trials to say, instead of where is God in all this, you know, and Sherry spent five years on that, uh, producing from the word of God an incredible resource on where God is in all this. In her book, Her A Journey to Understand, I tell you where God is, he's right in the middle of it. So I know that now. So when difficulty comes, instead of whining or having a pity party, I focus on God and say, what are you teaching me? Boy, don't let me miss what you're teaching me. Don't let me miss this. Because I know you're teaching because it wouldn't be happening if you weren't teaching. So here's what Paul said. I mean, uh, James says, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know, see, so he's assuming because he's talking to a church, you're supposed to know this, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's teaching. It's refinement. It's growth. That's what it's for. Why am I going through trials? Well, according to James, to produce steadfastness, meaning you'll be immovable. You'll be solidified in your faith because God loves us enough to do whatever it takes to put us totally dependent on him. And I'm so arrogant and I'm so prideful that God had to go and actually take my two and a half year old son and and allow him to die so that because that's apparently the only thing that was going to humble me to the point that I needed to be humble. Broke. Now you're broke. Now finally you're totally dependent on me. Now you need. Now you're dependent on me to tie your shoes, Rick. Now you're dependent on me to breathe. Your problem wasn't that you weren't strong enough. My goodness, you've touted your strength your whole life, and that was your problem. Your problem wasn't that you weren't strong enough. Try to handle this without me. Your problem is you weren't weak enough. And I've done what I needed to do to get you so weak that you're so dependent on me. Now I can finally use you. I understand that. I don't like it, but I understand it. And you know what? It worked. It worked. My wife said it best. I don't always like the way God does things, but I cannot argue with His results. So why are we not teaching this? Well, because it's not very popular. It doesn't really fill the seats up at the church. I'll tell you that. It it, it doesn't draw a big crowd. But it's gospel, it, It's but it's Scripture. That's why it's important. You know, if you're thinking to yourself, "Man, if I give my life to Jesus, He's going to solve all my problems here on earth." No, the problem he's going to solve is your big problem, and that is that you were going to hell. That's the big one. Now, the rest of this stuff in a fallen creation, there's no guarantee of that being overcome or, or taken. It's overcome, but not being taken out of your life. And that's the problem. So, if we're not told this, then and we don't know that we'll continue to be tempted by the devil, and we won't know that we still have the difficulty, it leads to problem now it's certainly an attempt like I said to to draw in more people and I don't have a problem with us I don't even have a problem with numbers I don't I don't care if a church has thousands and thousands of people in multiple multiple campuses as long as they're preaching this but I think some people think you can't do both I have found in men's ministry and I, and I can only speak to that but I can I found in men's ministry when we started actually preaching this to men, they actually came alive. Because I think most men won't follow Jesus because they've been preached this other gospel, and you think Jesus is some life coach, some, some self-help guru, some hippie, and most men aren't interested in that. But when you realize that in Luke 9, 23, that, that, uh, that Jesus looks at these men and says, Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Oh, Matthew 7, oh, by the way, the road that's wide and easy, that's the road that's leading to destruction. That's where most people are. If you're going to follow me, you're going to enter through a narrow gate, and this way is going to be hard, and most of you can't do it. Remember what we said? The Marines say, the few, the proud, the Marines. Jesus said, the few, the humble, my disciples. This few concept came from Jesus. It didn't come from the Marines. Jesus said that most of you aren't man enough to follow me. So if you tell men that, which is Scripture, the, the the Jesus of the Bible, they actually have a desire to follow it. They're like, well, I I thought this was just a, a hyper grace. Uh, everything just, no matter what I do, it's all going to be all right, and you know, I, nothing ever really changes about me. I've just I'm just been saved now, and then I can you know go out to the lake, I go down the beach, and we can go off play golf, and you know, now now God's going to give me all these wonderful things here on earth. No, you know what? One of the reasons why that. That's not really God's plan. Most of the things on this, in this work, Rick Burgess included, I'm pointing at me, most of the things that we call blessings, they're distractions. They're not blessings. We call them blessings because we like it. I like this. must be a blessing. Not necessarily. I'm not saying it's not, but you need to discern and understand that everything you love and everything you like or everything you want to do And if you get to do it, assuming that's a blessing, ask ask yourself this question, because I've had to do this in your own life. All these things you call a blessing, all these things I call a blessing, are the thing you're calling a blessing, is it bringing you closer to Christ? If it's not, it's not a blessing. It's a distraction. You might have got that from the other side. That might be from your flesh. That may not be from your spirit. Now, if what you have been given is something that you have balanced properly, if what you've been given, you're using to advance the kingdom of God. If what you've been given is refining you and growing you in Christ. If what you've been given even allows you rest and time with your family, which is a good thing. That's, that's, that's great. But if these things have become your obsession, like your pursuit is to be happy and have fun, that's all you want. Not to be holy. Not to mature in your faith. Not to be effective for the kingdom. And these things are making you happy and they're giving you fun, but they're not making you holy and they're not maturing you and you're not and they're not advancing the gospel. That's a good indicator on whether it's a blessing or a distraction. Just because you label a blessing doesn't mean it is. Better make sure scripture labels it a blessing. And that's the point of this dangerous gospel that has the concepts of redemption right, but it has the actual life of following Jesus wrong. So when you think about God building the character and God helping us, then when you start looking at what Scripture actually says, then you realize, okay, it it is there. But, but Rick, we are saved by grace. You better believe we are. But we don't need to lose the sight of grace, which J.I. Packer talks about. He said that with this false gospel, it fails to grasp New Testament teaching on what? Sanctification. I mean, most people that I know—not not all, but most people that that you see in life, out in society—not in my inner circle, just acquaintances or people I interact with—because I used to be this way. There's no commitment to sanctification. Now, there, there's there's a commitment to justification. I want to be redeemed because I don't want to go to hell. And you go, okay, so you've been justified. Now you're ready for sanctification. <laughs> Pass. What? <laughs> I'm, now I just go back to the life I was doing. I just know I'm not going to hell now. Dangerous theology. Dangerous theology. Because the scripture doesn't teach that. The scripture says that sanctification becomes a desire. And, and a lot of these churches that that, that, that that teach this dangerous gospel, they don't talk a lot about sanctification. They're willing to leave you in, per, in perpetual, continual spiritual infancy if you allow it. You want to get into a small group or you don't, that's fine. Come into this beautifully designed. Uh, look at the perfection of our worship service, man. Look at our look at what's going on in here. And I'm not saying that you can't use today's technology. My son works in that field, and still be, get up and have a Bible preaching, uh truth sharing, challenging Word of God, and and small groups. I don't care if a church has a nice building. I don't think. I mean, I, I saw what God called the temple to be built. It was it was really nice. I don't. I don't have a problem with you know because what you find is is it, is it, it, you, this is when you know you get it wrong that you think somehow the way your building look is an indicator of your devotion to Christ. What do you mean by that? Can people be arrogant about all the different resources they have on their campus? They can be, but there's also people out there that are arrogant about what they don't have. Well, because we meet in a ten building or we meet in a basketball gym, somehow we're closer to Christ. That's not there's. That's not an indicator of whether the place is solid or not. What's an indicator is what's being preached, what's being taught. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're sitting, like I said, I had a young man say this to me, if you're in a church right now that you're starting to have a hard time discerning the message between someone expository teaching the Word of God or a TED Talk, you can't really tell the difference. It feels a little more TED Talk, self-help, life coach than it does Scripture, Then I, I would get out of that place. Because, uh, that's not, that's not gonna grow you. So, this, this false gospel does not understand the meaning of growth in grace. It, it abuses grace, which we're warned about in Romans chapter 6. In our study of Romans. I mean, Paul hammers down, he said, hey, you're saved by grace from sin. You've not been saved by grace to continue in sin. He said, what? At first, you know, before you were redeemed, you were do-loss. You were a bondservant to sin. Because, like I said, the spirit was dead. So you were a bondservant. You were a slave to your flesh. So you, you lived in sin. But once you have been redeemed by what? Grace through faith. So why don't we just leave that faith part? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm saved by grace. You are through faith. What's faith? Well, that's the faith of action. It's you take everything off of you. I no longer have faith in myself in my strength, I now place my faith fully in God, fully in Christ. I belong to him. It's all shifted to him. I'm dead. He lives. And Paul says in Romans chapter 6, are you trying to show how wonderful grace is by living this life? Certainly not. He said, you've now left being doulos, being a bondservant to sin, and through redemption and this grace through faith, you now become loss a bondservant to obedience, which leads to life. And see, if, if you don't ever hear that, and all you hear about is grace and justification, but you never hear about sanctification, It J.I. Packer said, it does not understand the operation of indwelling sin. It confuses the Christian life on earth with the Christian life that will be in heaven. Amen. The Christian life on earth is not the same thing as the Christian life in heaven. Because you're in a fallen creation, you still have flesh. We won't have flesh in heaven. <clears throat> we'll be given the new body and we'll be spirit. We'll be recognizable to each other, but this sinful flesh is over. Here, it's still on us. Okay. It says, it misconceives the psychology of Christian obedience. This is spirit-prompted activity, not spirit-prompted Passivity, the spirit of God, His presence. I remember one of the things when I was a cultural Christian that I couldn't get around. If I claimed to be be redeemed, why was I walking in these clubs, and why was I watching this smut, and why was I uh, hanging out with these smutty people doing smutty things, and it didn't bother me? Where was the spirit prompted obedience? It wasn't there. There was a, there was a, there was a. My spirit was dead, which is why I had a. Passivity with sin, because the Spirit wasn't alive. So the the basic criticism about this false gospel is that it loses sight of the method and purpose of grace. So what is grace? In the New Testament, grace means God's love in action toward people who merited the opposite of love. Grace is God's love came to us and we didn't merit it. You got that? That's a simple definition of grace. Grace. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. Grace means God sending his only son to the cross to descend into hell so that we guilty ones might be reconciled to God and be received into heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the New Testament knows both a will of grace but also a work of grace. The former is God's eternal plan, meaning the, the will of grace, to save. The latter is God's work in you. How many times in scriptures do you see he's done this for you so that you can produce good works? Those, if you love me, you obey my commands. God has done this to produce great work in you. Uh, he, what does Jesus say in John 15 again? Even after the pruning, he says, if you abide in me and I abide in you and you abide in my words and my words abide in you, then, then I will produce much fruit in you. Much fruit flows out of you. There's the work of grace proving that you're my disciple. So if, 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 if these things aren't flowing out of you, the Bible says you're not a disciple. Philippians 1 6, by the way, talks about the good work in you. Whereby he calls you into living fellowship with Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 1 9. Raising you from death to life. Remember what we said before? I know my memo and all them said, hey, you got to get saved. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's really what scripture says, not that we were saved. It says that we were dead and now we're alive. We went from death to life, and, uh, and you can find that uh, by, by looking at Ephesians 2 and reading verses 1 through 6 it seals you in his uh, as his own by the gift of the spirit that's the conviction that drew us to redemption Ephesians 1:13 and 14 and then it transforms us the spirit then transforms us into Christ image 2 Corinthians 3:18 and then finally here's the whole complete gospel finally it raises our body into glory that's Romans 8:30 And 1 Corinthians 15, 47-54, I I read these verses at funerals all the time. And he talks about that. So so that's what the the gospel is. Because if, if you think about this transformation that's supposed to take place, we see this throughout the scripture. So the will of grace, yes, I think we understand that's justification. But the work of grace, I think many times we're never taught it, we don't understand it, and we don't expect it, and we don't pursue it. It's fashionable among a lot of scholars, some years ago, to say that grace means God's loving attitude as is distinct from his loving work. But he says, J.I. Packer, that, that, that is not scriptural. He said, look at 1 Corinthians 15.10. I just told you this one. By, by It says this. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. This is the one I told you about him after you know, I said I think he's thinking about Stephen here and the church that he persecuted, and his grace to me was not without effect. I said it was not in vain. That's what the ESV says. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God that was in me. So the word grace clearly denotes God's loving work in Paul, whereby he made him first a Christian, then he made him a minister. But I see Paul here saying he's working at it. I'm working, I'm growing, I'm being sanctified. So what's the purpose of grace? Well, primarily to restore our relationship with God. When God lays the foundation of this restored relationship uh, by forgiving our sins as we trust his son, he does so in order that henceforth we then may live in that fellowship. There's a change that takes place. We talked about this. We're ne- we're being, and see what happens so many times. We're doing a, Sherry and I just started teaching a, a um I still call it Sunday school. Some people call it, the church I'm at calls it a life group. Whatever you want to call it, but this is a Bible study of people that meet regularly on a Sunday morning either before or after the worship service, okay? So Sherry and I are teaching a class together. We just started last Sunday and we're doing uh, we're doing 1 John. Well, you start reading some of these you start getting some people say, "Well, when John's talking about that we've been brought into fellowship and he says, you know, we were there, we saw him, we touched him." We we are eyewitnesses to Jesus, and we want you to have the proper fellowship with us and God. We always do this. Oh, fellowship, that means we all do life together. No, what the Bible's talking about first and foremost, yes, we should have fellowship with with our fellow believers. That's not what John's talking about, and that's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying you better get the proper fellowship with God right. Are you in fellowship with God? Do you walk in the presence of God? Have you been, remember our chapter that we did this on adoption? Have you been justified? Have you been adopted as children of God? You, I, if you, hey, you don't want to have fellowship with me if I don't first have fellowship with God. I'm no good to you. I'm a detrimental friend to you. And what we do is we just place human fellowship ahead of everything. Fellows, let's do life together. Hashtag blessed. But that's not what Scripture is talking about. It says if you're not in the proper fellowship with God, if you have not been brought into the presence of God, if he's not doing now, he's done the will of grace, which brings you into that fellowship, and then the proper fellowship is the work of grace. If we want, John says, I want you to be in the right fellowship with the right theology, with the right God, and with the right Jesus, and the right Holy Spirit. And until you get that right, let's not all go out to eat. Let's work on that first. And then we have the proper fellowship that flows from a group of people that are first in fellowship with God. It's talking about the fellowship with God. And then you can have fellowship with each other properly. And what do we do? We want to skip over fellowship with God and get right to hanging out together. And I've dealt with this in men's ministry too. There's a lot of folk churches. Hey, we got a men's ministry. And when you look into it, you know what it really is? It's fellowship. It's not discipleship. They're just hanging out. And bring in a coach every now and then to, to, to try to take sports stories and uncomfortably tie them to Scripture. That's not discipleship. That, that, that's why we have a 40-week curriculum and we ha- we have these worship services and we're going to dive in and we're going to grow as men of God and we're going to get our fellowship with God right. Then we can have fellowship with each other. Most men's ministries I see out there, they're based on fellowship not with God but with each other. And that's important, but it ain't no good unless you have fellowship with God. It's just a bunch of guys hanging out. So what's your what's your men's ministry? Well, we you know we have a group that plays golf together, okay. Uh, we got a wild game supper. Nothing wrong about that. Who y'all have to come speak? Awesome. some 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 coach, okay. What do he talk about? Well, mainly football stories. Guys, I got news for you. We're just hanging out. This is not discipleship. And, and so this is what uh, JI Packer is talking about—to be sure that we're preaching the right gospel. So it's, yes, it's going to bring us in the proper fellowship with God. Grace does that. It says, as he does in renewing our nature, it's to tend to make us capable of and actually lead into the exercise of love, trust, <clears throat> delight, hope, and obedience, God work. Those acts which from our side make up the reality of fellowship with God who is constantly making himself known to us. This is what all the work of grace aims at, a deeper knowledge not about God, but a deeper knowledge of God and an ever closer fellowship with him. Grace is God drawing sinners closer and closer to himself. I know you go into some of these churches now, and they may have the basic concepts of justification, right? But you sit around and start listening to some of these modern praise songs, start listening to some of the stuff that's going on at the TED Talk churches, and you'll almost start thinking to yourself that God worships you. That God ought to just be thrilled with us. I was talking to a person about this, and they, I was disagreeing on a on a on the theology of a modern worship song, and I said, "I got to say, that's bad theology." And the guy says, "Well, I mean, um, I do think that God does love us. I said, oh, one hundred percent, He loves us. That He shows us that on the on the cross." Well, you know, back before you know, uh, you know, you have to remember that back at the very concept, though, that you know, God was. You know, God, our, our, us is His creation. I mean, it was a very special creation to Him, and it was His prize creation, and and, and all this. I said, well, yeah, up until you know Genesis six, when He killed everybody but eight people, He, he didn't seem enamored with all the people that He wiped off the face of the earth. I, I don't think He thought they made Him better, since He killed every one of them except eight. I think the key is to find out what was so great about the eight. I think that's the key is to find out why God. They had the proper fellowship with God, and everybody else didn't. See, we have to understand the entire deal. This is about us being drawn to God, and God being the center of our life. We are not the center of God's life. We didn't make God any better, make him any more wonderful, any more holy. And the fact that he's gracious to us, and allows us the fellowship, that's what we celebrate. That he says, you know what? And that's the next point. This is the beautiful thing. He's the God who restores. Isn't that wonderful? That's much to celebrate. He's the God who restores. Why is he allowing me to go through difficulty, Rick? I'll tell you why. So that you'll be more dependent on him. You can't have the proper fellowship with God if you're still dependent on yourself for most things and God for some things. He, he's trying to use the suffering and, 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 and the, the refining and the, and, the, and the destroying of the flesh so that we shall learn to hold to him. He is my rock. He is my foundation. Not my stuff, not my job, not my money, not my children, not my spouse. Him. Not my standing. Him. Him. I am living my life for an audience of one, not for the applause of the world. I think some of us, if we're honest, and I've been this way, this is my flaw too. I think some of us, as we're honest, we get more excited about being the proper standing with people than we do getting the proper standing with God. The people hated me today, but God didn't. Is that a better day for you? Or are you going to bog down on the fact that people were mean to you or don't like you? Can I tell you something? What I've learned, and I've had to deal with it, with flesh and blood, which is difficult, but not hard. It's not Some things that I know what to do, they may be difficult to do, but it's not that I don't know what to do. And you know what I found? I'd rather be at odds with human beings, family included, than to be at odds with God. I'm going to be right with him. And if you want to be right with God with me, you're welcome. But if you oppose God, then I oppose you not because I hate you, but because I love him. Because I found him to be better than anything this this world has. He is my strong rock. He is my firm defense. He is my refuge. He is my help when I'm weak. God spends so much of his time bringing home to us that we are weak both mentally and morally and dare not trust ourselves. We should only trust him. So no, you should not follow your heart. No, you should not follow yourself. No, you're not the center of the universe. No, I'm not the center of the universe. He is. He is. Look at all the people that made the mistakes before us. Look, look at Abraham. He was promised a son but, but but and was made to wait for it. He lost his patience. He made a mistake. He acted like an amateur. He goes and gets his wife, talks to men, saying, God's never going to give us a son. He sleeps with another woman. Moses makes the mistake of trying to save his people by acts of self-assertion, by throwing his weight around, killing an Egyptian, insisting on sorting out the Israelites' private problems for them. Finds himself banished for many decades on the backside of the of the desert, uh, to bring him to uh, you know uh, to think less of himself. David makes a run of mistakes: seducing Bathsheba, getting Uriah killed, neglecting his family, numbering the people for his prestige when he was told not to take that. And in each case, God did chasten all of these people. But you know what else He did? He restored them. So don't miss that part. It is difficult. It is hard. But you're, you're on the way to being restored. Because nobody teaches like God. Nobody teaches like the Lord. So the the question is this, are you hearing this where you go to church? Is this the gospel that you've heard? If it's not, you need to be on your face before the Lord because it could be that you're somewhere where false theology may be subtle, but it's still wrong. Be sure that you're hearing the gospel preached correctly. And that the gospel is not being made more palatable, so you're more likely to eat it. Because that's going to lead to you being disillusioned when you weren't taught what to expect, even after you've been justified, even when you choose to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this lesson. Thank you for uh, uh, making sure that we hear what we need to hear. And may we now apply this to our lives, not thinking anything other than, "I have tasted of the Lord, and I and I have found that you are good, and you are better. And even though you slay me, I still find my hope only in you." Just like our brother Job taught us, help us, Lord, to understand and seek your truth, to not ab- uh, not not abuse grace. To, to to look at sanctification and desire it as much as we desire justification, just as you've instructed us to do. And may we make much of you and make little of ourselves. And may we stop the opposite of making much of people and making so little of you. May we correct that today. In your holy name we pray, amen. If I can help you in any way, Rick at rickandbubba.com. We'll do one more session and wrap up uh, uh, Knowing God uh, one week from today. Uh, Men, you are welcome to come back and join us in the studio. And then uh, two weeks from today, we'll start a brand new series. Thank you for being with us.